All right, weekends episode fourteen. A lot of haters. Haters are growing. We're we're, we're climbing. We're two thirds of the way to the twenty one mark for the one percent top one percent of podcasts in terms of volume. Who do we got? Famous fourteens. Any any famous fourteens popping off? This is it's getting harder now. I feel like it's funny, man, because uh, I try not to. So all these numbers, I try to do. Um, I try not to look them up, and I've been brainstorming fourteens. I can't really think of any. So I don't. I feel like fourteen is a is a really under sort of represented number in sports. Um, I also saw somebody on Twitter who was like, what are you guys going to do when you get to like 30s, 40s, 50s? And, and I saw you say like uh, maybe linemen, but we have to think about what else, uh, you, know, you know, like maybe numbers instead of just athletes, like what else do they represent? Like an important date, an important, who knows? We'll, we'll figure that out as it goes. But I'm looking it up now because I couldn't brainstorm any 14s. I see actually some legends, uh, Pete Rose, well, I think should be in the Hall of Fame, but it is what it is. Um, Thierry Henry. Vigo, Oscar Robert. Yeah, Thierry Henry. Um, one that kind of comes to mind, and again, I shout out like all Venezuelan athletes, but uh, Andres Galarraga, who I think kind of went down in the steroids scandal as well. I hope not. I hope he stayed clean. I'm Back then, sure. I feel like everyone everyone had a little juice in them. It was, it was, a, it was like a just... Did you pop? Were you, did you get caught or were you above the, were you well, above I, the threshold? I, I kind of understand. Like I had a tweet that said like about the brain chip, Elon's chip that's coming out where it's like, I'm actually scared that if you don't get chipped in like 2043, you're going to be so economically disadvantaged that everybody's going to end up getting chipped and it's going to maybe destroy the fabric of, of society. Um, but I think it was the same in baseball back then where it's like, damn, everybody's using. So if I don't, I'm not going to get that four year $48 million contract, I'm going to be relegated down, you know, to, to AAA. So it's like, you kind of had to, if, if you wanted to like compete for these big contracts, like you kind of had a juice. So it was like this sort of damned if you are damned, if you don't kind of scenario, um, damned, if you do damned, if you don't. And I kind of, it, it just sucks, but I kind of understand it. It makes sense. That's the, the Elon world is like be chipped or be an artist, right? That those are your two options is like, you're either going to, that's it's wild, a scary man. reality. It's very scary. I'm not looking I, I don't want, 20, 40s and 50s. I don't want to be forced to be chipped. Like if, if it made yeah. sense where you could turn it on it. I think we we have enough proof points with technology where it's like, yeah, like it starts out fun and optional and you have full control. And then what ends up happening is like either by force or by design, you lose, you lose the ability to have control. And uh, that's, that's pretty scary when like there's something in your brain, you know? Yeah, I'm not, uh, I already told myself I'd never get it. But again, you're right, there will be that social pressure where it's like, yeah, you're not forced, but um, hey, I'm not gonna, you're not gonna get hired if the other guy has, you know, access to, to the world's data <laughs> embedded yeah. into their brain. So we'll see how that all goes. That'll be a topic for like episode 4,623 or something like that. Yeah, we'll be like, thumbnail just got chipped. We're just going to come in, like, just <laughs> no talking. Yeah, that's hilarious. All right, where should we go? We've got a ton of interesting topics, little threads we can pull on. What's the most interesting thing to you? You want to talk about the second accounts idea and just kick it from there? Yeah, no, I, th I think um, this may resonate with a lot of creators out there. Maybe not, but um, I, I think you're probably similar, but I'll, but I'll speak for myself to make sure that I'm not speaking for the both of us, but like, gotten to a point where it's funny, right? Like as a creator, like I don't want to create the stuff that is perhaps the most monetizable. It, you had a tweet, which I really liked. I think you said something like, 
um, instead of instead of asking yourself, hey, will this piece of content perform well? Ask yourself, are you excited to make this piece of content? I think that really resonated with me because it's like there's so many things that I that I know would get views, but it's like I'm I would just not be excited to make that. And so I'm like really focusing on like what do I actually what would make me happy to make? Again, more artists than businessman. We're always like struggling between the two. But then I started thinking, I was like, you know what? Maybe I should create a second account for the type of content that I that I started by making that is actually highly monetizable, that it's covering like an AI tool or a piece of tech or I don't know, Insta360 might send me a camera and I'll do like an unboxing or review and like all these things that, again, like don't excite me to make, but is a highly monetizable format because brands are just going to be paying you to, to cover their thing left and right. So I was thinking about, making a second account in order to do this, uh, which I think would probably work fairly well. You know, I, I know how to kind of like make something at least look good and, and have the chance to go viral. And that way I kind of have like two accounts where it's like one is like the more monetizable. It's like maybe RPN tech or whatever I might want to call it, where I'm really just covering like tech tools, tech software, whatever it might be. Um, and then the other one where I'm really trying to build like that personal brand around like, you know, somebody you look up to some, you know, like an, more more leaning into the artistry not sure if i like explain that too well but a lot of youtubers have done this in the past where they have their primary channel where they really care about it and then they have their secondary channel which is like they don't really give a shit about and it's like if a brand comes in that doesn't necessarily fit with their ethos but they they're it's like super highly paid hey i don't want to let that go because that's like four hours of my time for this amount of money um so let me just throw it on the second channel and i think that i, I think is a model that that could work on instagram and uh and tiktok so been thinking about it. It for sure could work on Instagram. I, I mean, I, I almost thought of like your metaverse and Aluna channels as this in a way. Like I thought, I, I kind of assumed like, all right, you kind of already have those. Now those aren't, you don't put your face on those as much like you repost, but I kind of, I, I was kind of thinking like, well, you kind of already have some of these second channels that are themed or like niche down where you could do this. My, th my thought was always, and th this might just be like naivety with the way I was thinking about things, but I was always thinking you want to resist splintering focus as much as possible because in order to compound the fastest and the biggest, you want like all attention on one thing. Like if you had one channel versus 10 channels, like to make it the example extreme, if each of the 10 channels had one tenth of the traffic, it would take them 10 times as long to reach the same compounding. Right, and so it's right. like if we know that like the compounding escape velocity is where all the gains are, where all the growth is. You want to like do everything you can to reach that as soon as possible, which would be only having one channel. But it makes sense though to have multiple because either A, the algorithms are designed where like if you have misses or you have videos that don't perform well, it hurts your other ones. I think on YouTube, that's definitely the case where like it almost rewards streaks. And so like Mr. Beast or MKBHD or whatever, they have separate channels because they're they'll take more chances on the second channels because they don't want to exactly. risk breaking the streak. So that that make if that's how the algorithms are designed, that does make sense to have second channels. But if I'm a brand, unless your second channel is as big or like as vibrant as the main one, maybe I'll pay you less, I guess, to go on the second channel, but I'd kind of want your activation on the one. So my, my mindset has always been like, let's just build one on each platform and just throw everything at trying to compound it. But that might be the wrong thinking because I agree that if you can't be everything for everyone and all of a sudden you have five different types of topics you put on one channel, it's possible you're stunting your growth because every fifth video m matches what somebody wants, but the other four they don't. And so you just have this constant churn, you know? So I don't know. I, uh, 
I feel like there's so much work to do to try to build even one account on every platform that if I had multiple accounts, I'd just be overwhelmed. And that we see that with the weekends account, right? Like I don't even really like posting on the weekends account because it's an, it's more work. It's like extra work. I'd rather just post on the one that is already growing, you know? No, I think you make a good point. I mean, the, the theme pages were intended to be that. And it's actually something that I think more creators should do. And I, and, and one of these days, let's do an episode on like how to build a theme page. Cause I built like 12 and I have like kind of proven strategies. Although I will say nowadays it takes more capital than before. Um, I'm, you know, unless you want to, we, we can get to that, um, in another episode, but the, the only issue with theme pages is like brands really, really like attach, like, uh, like an individual a personality, a face, it is way more impactful. Um, and so that would be like my only sort of issue with it. And I haven't wanted to make myself be like on a, on a very micro microscopic comparison, but like the Dave Portnoy to Barstool, I've, I've kind of like tried to stay away. Um, but it's funny, man, those pages, like, like I, I never really talk about it cause I don't think it's really a flex, but like metaverse has hit like 28 million people this month. And I work on a 20 minutes, uh, a week, but I'm not going to go and like flex those numbers because it's like, I'm reposting somebody else's viral work. It's not like, it's kind of, so I, I see like, like in any, in any niche, like whether it be a finance account or a sports account, there's a trillion of them and they're all just reposting the same shit that everybody else posts that usually surfaces on Reddit or Twitter. And it's kind of like, and, and then I see people flexing like their theme page numbers. And I'm just like, it's, it's, you're using somebody else's work. It's not. Um, and so like, I never really try to talk about those, but at the same time, like hitting 28 million eyeballs a month with minimal work, I'm like, fuck, there's something there. But brands, it's funny, they just don't seem as interested. I think, you know, 2 million eyeballs from an individual is more valuable than like 30 million from a faceless media brand. Um, so, so something, something interesting to talk about. It's funny because like to build, to sell it, you don't want your face attached because if you, if you were attached face-wise, you couldn't sell it. But like to build, to monetize it while you're running it, you actually want your face attached. So it's like, it's a catch-22. The, the, the thing, yeah. like the meta, the meta question that this always goes back to, and I feel like you're a really good person to talk on this because you have a lot of things going. The meta question for me is always like, all right, you've got a Luna page, you've got the Metaverse page, you have your own page, you have all the platforms. It's like, it's like, if you zoom all the way out, do you feel like the strategy of having multiple things the way you constructed it is like net better than if you just had one? Like if you were to, if you had to take true serum and like actually give your real thoughts of like, okay, on one side of the scale, you have however much time you spend on the main RP Nixon channel, you have the metaverse channel, you have the Aluna channel, you have all the views and followers combined for those. You have all the mechanics of like you post one here and repost it here, et cetera. All that's on one side. The other side of the scales, you had nothing but just RP Nixon and you took all the time and spent just on that one. And like you had, you know, you had to choose, like, do I make only one type of video? Do I make multiple types of video? Whatever. Like if those were the two sides of the scale, which is better? I've always wondered this because there's really no way to know. Uh, there's no way to play the counterfactual. Great question, right? right? A great question. And I'm not sure. My intuition says, so I uh, have a buddy named Kings. I don't know if you've seen him. He runs like the Kings letter. It's like a newsletter. He And he does kind of the same thing where but he's combined them. So he's combined his personal brand with, let's call it like the theme page for lack of a better term, uh, the media page, the brand page. And that's what he does. So sometimes he has like his personal reels, but other times he has like metaverse style images with the captions, like breaking news or talking about a specific idea or or something that's happened in his niche. Um, I like to separate them just because I like things to be clean. 
I don't, I don't know. And like, also it's, it's like you said, it's, um, you know, I, who, like if somebody wanted to come by Callaway, that's a terrible deal from the, for them. Right. Because right. then they start posting something else and it's like, people followed it for you. Um, so, so that was my thought. It's like, I want to build these out separate because I want them as its own brand or entity that one day, maybe I can, I can add some fuel to, I could bring some people in, uh, maybe add some resources, whatever it may be, build that out and then sell it and piece it off. It's its own thing. So that's the reason that I'm doing it. My gut says it's like all the work that I do across the, the family pages, just do for one. I think that would be most impactful from like a, a monetary standpoint or like a, you know, a short term kind of benefit standpoint. But I think in the long run, I like keeping them separate just because they are things that you can sort of piece off in the future. Um, which, which I've done in the past, by the way, too, like, uh, I had a, I had a page called paradise, which sold for like a good deal of money, uh, you know, deep into the six figures. <clears throat> and the reason also I should say, you're not allowed to like buy and sell pages. So I actually t- bought out an LLC for that. And there was like a small agency play and like the page belonged to that LLC. And so I sold the LLC. So there's like ways around it where you can do it. Uh, but so I used to think the same thing. I was like, should I build paradise into like my own brand? And again, the reason I like to keep them separate is to piece them off. Um, and so that's a good question. I don't, I don't necessarily know the answer. And just from my standpoint, the way that I would answer that, I like to keep them separate because it's cleaner and it's something that you could sell in the future. Yeah. I mean, the, I feel like people who have listened since the beginning, like we, we talk about this a lot, which is kind of like, where do you point your hose of time, right? Cause, and we talk about it a lot because like this, if you're a creator, like this is the only question it's like, there's, there's different types of content. Those types of content have different pros and cons in terms of reach, in terms of death, in terms of monetization. And the question is like, how do you split your time? What should you do? What can you do? What are other people doing? What is working? What is not? It's like, this is the question. I think it's the question that I think about nonstop. And yeah, I mean, like, I think what I've noticed is the more we've done this show and the more we've like played the game, you just pick up these little bits of like, oh, this person's doing that. That's interesting. Or like, oh, this platform is actually does this. And I didn't realize it. But now that I've experimented, I know. And so that's why I like I like coming back to this question every few episodes, because now we're starting to understand like, all right, you've got a lot of this top of funnel stuff is just empty. Like it really is just empty. Like we're on on Instagram reels. We can get a million views like clockwork. Like if, if I had a gun to my head and I had to get a million views, we could do it. You and I could do it easily. But the question is like, what does that actually do? How much is that tr- of that is trickling down of the trickle down? Do you even have somewhere to put them? And like, if you don't, is it wasted or is it not? Or are you building trust or are you not? It's like, these are the, these, this echoes in my head all day long. And right now, I guess like to just give where my latest thinking is on this. We were talking about this a little bit on the last episode where the, the high trust platforms, there, there's, there's platforms with high trust and there's platforms where people will convert to dollars. And then there are some with both where it's high trust and dollars. And really what you want to do is have a super wide top of funnel to get people to the high trust platforms to eventually get them to dollars. Not in like a schemey way, but like at the end of the day, none of us are doing this for philanthropic reasons. Like we're trying to grow business, trying to grow a business and like make money. And so the way I'm thinking of it now is like, you have to have the top of funnel because if you were competing against someone that doesn't have the top of funnel, you'll win every single time because they're going to struggle to get new eyeballs. But you also have to have the bottom of funnel, which could be email, could be text, could be a podcast, could be like more long form YouTube, could be live stream. Those are like, 
I don't even know if live stream counts, but those are more bottom of funnel options. And the whole, the whole idea is like, you just want to, it's what we were talking about before with the world building. You want to build a world that is basically like a wheel that anyone can enter at any point of the wheel. And as they're in the wheel, they're slowly getting towards the center, like a spiral. And at the center is the tightest trust. And that's where people will transact or buy what you buy, what you sell, or, you know, advocate for you to others. And so that was, that was a pretty like high level little rant, but this is the thing that I'm constantly trying to figure out is like, what is the right workflow from Instagram reels, from TikTok? Where do we send these people? And I don't yeah, know if you have, yeah. you've, if you have any Not like, really. more thoughts on that. Like I was kind of working on a chart, but when I think of a funnel, I think of like three stages. There's uh, I mean, there's top, middle, bottom, or you can, the way that I kind of frame it is like casual fan diehard. So I actually I like had like that. a little chart that I was working on, but like my top of funnel would be the casual, like TikTok, IG, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn threads, like wherever I'm just putting out content, somebody might find it. Um, let's say there's a percentage of those. I don't know. I don't, I haven't like calculated what would be a good percentage versus a bad percentage, but say a smaller percentage becomes uh, a fan and a fan may convert to, I don't know, like a newsletter or a podcast um, or maybe that's more diehard. I, I'm not sure like where I'd, I'd put those, but it could be like weekends or newsletters. Like, okay, you've become a fan. You want to get a little bit more. Um, and then diehard, there would be like, that's where, and I don't necessarily offer this right now, but like one-on-one -on -one consulting or like somebody that actually is like such a diehard fan, they'll pay to go meet you, maybe physical events. Um, so like some of the big dogs, like Patrick, Bet David, et cetera, I'd actually, I'm actually thinking they probably make most of their money on the physical events. They have For guys sure. come in. Actually, Andy Elliott, I, I commented on, on one of his photos. This is another conversation, but yo, like I can see why the dude makes so much money. I don't know if it's a good or bad thing, but the guys on his team and, and gals are sharks. Like they text me every day da, 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 since I've commented, like trying to get me, you know, to spend $5,000 to go see him in PBD in Phoenix. Who, who is and Andy Elliott? Oh, he's like a, a sales guy. He, he went okay. famous for, for saying like, if you don't have a six pack, you get fired for my company. Oh. Like he's <laughs> like one of these super hardcore guys. And him and PBD are doing this thing in Phoenix and they're trying to sell out a stadium like $5,000 a pop. They're probably going to make like $10 million each on this one. Anyways, the point is diehard fan would actually come to your event, would actually pay a lot of money to come see you, meet you, see you speak, et cetera. But then I'm wondering like, how do you, so on the side of the funnel, there's like this, maybe like this tube that kind of like connects uh, via, all, so, so as an example, like Aluna, you don't have to become a fan or a diehard fan of mine. You could have just found the top of funnel and I'm making a video on how to do something with stable diffusion, go do it on this platform and it converts. So you don't necessarily have to like go down the funnel. Um, I think digital products in general, like products, software, maybe courses, et cetera, um, probably end up sort of in this tube where you actually don't have to become a fan of someone. If the, if the top of funnel discovery was so compelling, um, it doesn't really matter. Like TikTok, uh, shop is a great example of this. You don't have to go somebody's down somebody's funnel if they're showing you some gadget or some tripod. That looks pretty damn cool. Okay, let me buy it. You don't need to be a fan of that person. And so I'm wondering if this needs to be expanded towards like where there's a funnel, but then there's like a tube on the side that also like connects to the funnel that, that, can, uh, that can feed to every, you know, to the casual, to the fan and the diehard alike. So this, this is a topic that I wanted to talk about. I, I wrote about it in the newsletter a couple of weeks ago called the attribution of fandom. And I want to look at this via the lens of two people. One is Nick Bear. Do you know who Nick Bear is? Of course. So Nick Bear, I'll, I'll give that example in a second. The other one is Sam Calder that I was just thinking about. But let me, let me talk about the Sam Calder one first. So I've always had this thought in the back of my mind ever since I started making content of like, you can't stop 
making content because once you stop, you become irrelevant. And once you're irrelevant, your offers stop working. And like you, you, the trust slowly decays the same way, like if a tree falls in the forest, it'll get broken down same way with trust, I thought. And so you kind of have to, like, once you're on this treadmill, if you want to make money from the content, you have to keep doing it forever. But then I thought about Sam Colder who, and I could be wrong about this cause I haven't like studied it in depth, but from my, from my understanding, there was a period where Sam Coulter was making, or Sam Colder was making YouTube videos and whatever the equivalent on Instagram, maybe like photos, f like every single day or every week consistently, he was crushing. Everything he made was sick. I think a lot, he grew really fast. A lot of people looked at him as like one of the goats for like travel filmmaking, this kind of like brand, right? And I was just like, damn, if this dude never stops, like he's gonna be one of the biggest people on the planet. And then he stopped. And like, I don't know where he went or like what happened or if he had like a crisis or whatever. But, but now looking back, I think what actually ended up happening is he was making money from brand deals and he was probably making good money, but like nothing crazy. And then he realized he needed to do Colder Creative, which is like his academy or his course or whatever. And I think he stopped, I could be wrong about this, so correct me if you know otherwise, but I think he stopped making content consistently. He went all in for like six to 12 months on like making the course material because you really can't do both. And then once the course was done, he would make occasional videos specifically targeted as like, teaser modules or like really like lead gen lead magnets to try to drive people to the course. And now I don't see him anywhere in terms of making content, maybe the occasional piece here or there, maybe he posts pictures on Instagram here or there, but like nothing like what he used to. And he's just driving people to this course and the course costs $1,500 for a lifetime thing. And I'm sure he's making half a million bucks to 5 million bucks a year on this course. But the interesting thing to me was that he used content every day or content consistently as a way to build his brand, which is cemented in my mind. I always think of him as dope, even though I haven't seen something from him for five years, but then he was able to eat and sell off that brand forever without being consistent on the content after. And that's a very interesting, that kind of broke my frame when I thought about it, because that's not what my expectation was. So I don't know if, if, if you know other, like if you have any facts that I was wrong about there or like thoughts about that, but he's a good model for how you like build a personal brand and then switch from like everything free to paid without kind of like hurting that brand in my mind. Yeah. I mean, he's such an outlier though. Cause he, I mean, he was just, he was like the best of the best. Um, and I think that's what happens. There, there's a lot of guys you could name. I mean, Casey's a guy like this that could disappear for five years and come back and people love and like, won't forget him. It's like when you, when there is a wave. So I would say it was like 2014, to 2020 that was like that travel wave like photography videography um that i think sam colder was definitely a pioneer of and like probably the king honestly the king of that wave like he he became like synonymous with that wave a little bit and i remember it too because like that was when paradise was just going crazy and i was getting like 80,000 likes per photos and like this was the thing it was just like travel photography obviously what happened the novelty wore off and like everything's been done now so it's like i think just people got sick of it but um Anytime that there's a wave, if you're the, you know, pseudo king or queen of that wave, like you kind of like you're almost set like for life. And it was the same with Casey with like this YouTube wave where it was like this vlogging raw, like content style that like millions of kids and people around the world were inspired by and started doing. It was like Casey was just like the crowned king of this wave. And so that affinity, I think it will now exist forever to the point where like I could literally Casey could retire for 10 years. He's, and when he comes back, I'm going to be like, oh, shit. Like he's dropping like MJ's coming out of retirement. This is a must watch game. He's wearing 45. Like what's going on? And so um, 
Yeah, Calder's definitely at that level. And, and my guess, I don't know for sure, because it could have just been like, he, you know, he found other interests. I know he's like very spiritual and he's got other things going on, hobbies and interests, et cetera, that maybe he went to pursue. But my intuition says like the course was just so lucrative without having like you build. I mean, like before he would have to travel all over the world and spend 14 hours a day editing and like killing himself over the shit. And it's like now he gets to kind of just chill and make more money by doing so. And he now he but he's reaping the rewards of that six year endurance period of those six obsession years where he became the guy. Um, and man, that's what, like brand dude. Brand is everything. If you can get to that point, it's like, you, you know, that's the biggest win you can get. I think there's really no, I, I think there's no way to get to that point unless you go through the obsession period. Like yeah, Casey, but did at the same time, example. you also just have to, cause there, there was guaranteed hundreds of uh, thousands of other colders out there, but he was just the best. So like sometimes it's what it is, you know what I mean? I could I could go and play basketball twelve hours a day. I'm never going to be MJ. Um, so there's also like yeah, there, there's more. There's also skill. Um, so but when you find that combination, man. Whew. Yeah, King King Batch King Batch is another example that comes to mind from the Vine. Like he was so big at Vine. Like he I don't think he's done anything for five years. But if he drops something, I would look at it and be like, he's funny. Like I just I just associate that he's got that that reverence for that format as well. Yeah. So I yeah, I just think that's now, really though. interesting. Oh, he's acting. Something. I, I don't know. I, I haven't like, um, bro, that Vine generation was amazing, man. That Vine generation was so fun. And like, they all kind of came up together, lived in the same building in LA. Like, like what a, what a time that was. That was the, that, that was like the shift into the world we have today where it's like social media influencers became king. It was the first wave. It was, Vine was TikTok before TikTok in a way. Yep. TikTok with constraints which is like a, a really fascinating thing to think about. Um, okay, so that, that was, that was wave, one man. piece. Yeah. That was I, Logan I, I may take and everybody in the world. But a lot of them came from Vine. That's the craziest thing. It's the them. only yeah, reason like they so got to YouTube crazy. is they had to go to YouTube because Vine shut down. Yeah. I, other than Mr. Beast, most of them didn't want to do YouTube. Like they, they, cause they had something caching easy with Vine, six second videos, so much easier to make than like a, a 10 minute vlog. But because Vine shut down, they were like, all right, the only thing we can do is like video and, and act and like fun, be funny. So let's make YouTube. And that's the, I, honestly, I would love to go back and look at the timeline. I think that's probably one of the catalysts for YouTube in terms of getting such great top tier content was like all of those Viners came at the same time. Like right when it was Logan Paul, Jake Paul, King Batch. I think Cody Co potentially like that, that, that whole kind of generation. So very, very fascinating to think about. Um, the other, the other example I wanted to talk about was the Nick bear thing. So this is what I thought was fascinating, right? Me and you have assumptions about the way a fan gets into our funnel. So like we make video, we make content, we do stuff, we, we put stuff out on different platforms. And really the goal is like, you just want the way I think of it is I want a fan to trip down the rabbit hole, like selectively not trip, but like selectively go down the rabbit hole and then have a bunch of stuff in the rabbit hole that they like consuming of mine. And then they convert to a fan. And this is like this idea of like fandom conversion. And, and I have an assumption of how that works. And you have an assumption of how that works, but we don't really know from the perspective of a fan. We just like put out what we think will work. And then, you know, it grow. you hope the audience is growing. So a few weeks ago, I kind of got red pilled onto Nick bear I had only, before this, I had only heard his name once or twice mentioned by Sam Parr on My First Million, but I had not never consumed a single thing from him, never heard about him at all. And basically I tripped down his rabbit hole over a three day period. And I watched, like I kind of zoomed out afterwards. I was like, wait a second, what actually happened 
to get me to go from, I don't know this guy to I'm buying this guy's products in three days. And I, I wrote about that in the newsletter of like analyzing each, each piece and like what, what I was thinking along the way. So I, I felt like it would be valuable to talk through because basically what happened is he, he came on a, as a guest on, a, on My First Million, which is like a podcast that I like. And he basically had a warm intro. And on that podcast, he did a few things that were really smart. He didn't like overly self-promote. He let Sam, who was hosting, do all the bragging for him. And all he did was like be himself, talk about the things that he, he actually likes, which is like being a hybrid athlete, running a business, using content because he, he's a big YouTuber, which are two things incidentally that I care about right now. And Sam kind of did all the bragging for him. And it was that little like peaking of interest that sent me down the rabbit hole. Sam referenced, hey, you have your own podcast that I came on a year ago. That was cool. So what I do after the episode, I went to his podcast and I listened to the episode with Sam. In that episode, Sam talked about how Nick has this fitness app where he like programs workouts. So what did I do? I went and looked that up. It's like, these are all stair steps down. In the original episode, Sam also mentioned that Nick on YouTube created these crazy cinematic 45 minute like marathon films. So what did I do? At night, I went to YouTube, I searched his profile. So after I'm like three hours in on this guy's content, I'm completely converted. And he didn't have to do any of the like bragging or trying to get me there. I just tripped down the hole. And I think that's a mistake a lot of people make and like I've made in the past is I'll post being like, hey guys, please come look at this. That's the wrong approach. Nobody wants to look at something where they're being begged to look. Instead, you just want to be yourself and let others who like your stuff kind of endorse it for you and send people down the hole. So there, there's like a lot more we could go into on that, but I'm, I'm curious if you've had a similar experience where you like recently found somebody that you really liked and like reflecting on how you kind of went down that rabbit hole what were the things they did that, that made you, that helped build trust the best? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I haven't really sat down to think about this, but if, if I'm reverse engineering, like everybody that I'm a fan of, like an act, like a real fan of not like a, you know, toxic positivity on Twitter, you're the goat, bro. Like, like an actual fan of, I think like two words come to mind, inspiration and transformation. It's like people who have inspired me or helped me through some sort of transformation. So like music, I'm a fan of a lot of musicians because you know, their music resonated, got me through a certain era, a certain tough point in life, or like it reminds me of something that, that I like, I romanticize, that's nostalgic, um, uh, you know, or if I'm a fan of, you know, like maybe like a Gary Vee who was like instrumental in letting me understand and like discover like the content world and understand what it's going to be about, what the future is going to be like. And I think he ushered in like this entire generation of people into like creator land. It's like, when I think of the people I'm a really, really a fan of is like, have they taught me something? Have they transformed me? Have they inspired me to the point for me taking action in my own life? I think that's what develops fandom, at least to me. And even, even with like some of the, my best friends in life, why are, why are we like so close? Even if I don't talk to them for a long time, it's like, cause we've been through shit together. Like we've been in the gutter together. We've done this. We've had like terrifying experiences together. And that like really, um, strengthens and molds a relationship. So it's kind of the same with like fan creator or fan celebrity or, or what it might be. It's like, you almost feel like you've been through something with them. Um, and I think for me anyways, personally, like that's, that's when I develop fandom for someone or something. Um, and I, I can think of like examples. I'm sure there's like some outliers and, you know, some, some things that don't fall into those categories, but those are the two words that come to mind, inspiration and transformation. And a lot of that is like once you're in their orbit, a lot of that is like the authenticity of the content that they're sharing at, during a specific time in your life. But how do you get 
into their orbit in the first place, like without knowing them. That's the thing that I'm fascinated by is like everything you said you have to have as a creator or else you're not going to have the fan conversion because you need to be authentic. You need to be like relatable, inspiring, et cetera. But like, what is the, the spiky point that as I'm flying by catches my shirt and I fall down, it's like into their like orbit. That that's something that I'm, I'm so fascinated by because everyone on the internet is really trying to do that. It's like Mr. Beast's idea with the thumbnails. You could have the most inspiring video, but if the thumbnail doesn't catch somebody down the hole, they'll never even consume your content. And so it's like, what is the thumbnail everywhere? You know, like, is it, is it the, is it a warm endorsement from someone you trust is, and so really the goal is like, just make stuff that's as shareable as possible. So the most people share it so that friends get shared with their friends, get the stuff shared by their friends. Is it design aesthetic where like you're just, you, your surface area on the internet is so wide in terms of your Instagram page, your YouTube page, everything visual. And like, you're just hoping people come across those pixels, see the design aesthetic. They like it. They, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just really interesting to think about what is the best way to optimize that, like initial conversion point into the world. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you can also be a fan of talent or skill, you know, like I'm a fan of like Dan Petty. He's a designer that I love or like Traff. I don't really know anything about them. Or know anything about yeah. their life. So I can't like be a fan of, but I'm a fan of their talent. I'm a fan of their skill. I'm a fan of their, um, you know, fluency in their craft and in their profession. But it is something interesting, man, that I think about a lot. And I try to like reverse engineer it. I think, I mean, storytelling is so big. Like, like you said, like world building and storytelling. A uh, guy that comes to mind is like Jake Paul. You know, I always thought like, oh, he's a funny entertainer. He's like a fucking clown making, they fool of himself for our entertainment, our entertainment. That's pretty dope. But then like when he started fighting and, and like I saw the work and effort that he put into it, I think I became a fan because of the struggle that he was going through. And it was yeah. inspirational to see. Right. And so like I want. I, yeah, I mean, struggle, uh, storytelling, inspiration, journey. Uh, Mr. Beast also has a dope journey because like I'd, I'd kind of been I think it was like Thanksgiving 2020 where I found out about him and I'm like, oh, shit, this dude's awesome, man. Every single dollar he puts back into his videos, he's not trying to. Like, I love the fact I found it endearing. He doesn't care about money. He's not out there buying cars and Rolexes and mansions. It's like this guy just wants to make the best possible content for us, for our entertainment. I'm following this journey. Like, I got his back. I'm rooting for him the whole way. Um, again, so, yeah, journey, storytelling. There, there's so much that goes into it. it. It's hard to make, like, a blanket statement. But yeah, I yeah. guess for me, I'm just trying to work through reverse engineer how I develop fandom for somebody. Yeah, like what that means. I mean, I, yeah, let's go to a different topic, but I, I think that's a really, it's a really Some, helpful. Something we should always keep talking about because like one, one day maybe we can, I don't know if you follow NBA, like Hollinger. Hollinger came up with a, uh, a formula, like a new category of stat where he's gonna, like ranking a player's efficiency. One day maybe we can come up with like a formula to attribute yeah. fandom to. I so think, let's, I think let's, that, let's keep that that's, exactly, that's exactly what we're working towards because there's a big difference between just making stuff to make it, to put something out versus like you said, taking somebody on a journey and getting them, even though you're still putting stuff out, but there's like a through line for the journey that I think people buy into. So Correct. there's something there. All right. Wh where else, where do you want to go to next? We've got a lot of interesting stuff here on you, the list. You say you got a massive YouTube prediction. I'd love to, I'd love to hear what you're talking about there. Okay. Nice. Got a little, got a little clickbait on the headline there. That That's good. Okay. So I don't always listen to All In. I think sometimes they're like pretty pompous, but I was I was bored. I was listening to All In, the podcast, and Friedberg, who I think is the one that has the points that are least ego-driven, 
was talking about they were talking about a, put it. yeah he, everyone else is like trying to Jason's just like a color guy the other two are they're trying to push their own narrative I think Friedberg is like the most objective so they were talking about AI basically they were talking about where in the AI stack an investor would see returns and they broke it down to like there's the foundational model like llama or whatever GPT-4 whatever there's the infrastructure layer, which is kind of like the in-between, and then there's the application layer on top. And what Chamath was saying is that he thinks at the model level, like Mistral and all these companies that build the models, he's like, there's going to be no investment return there because the open source models are going to get just as good as the closed ones, and then the open ones will be available for free, and so they'll just like diminish the re return to zero. And so the question then becomes, okay, who has the most valuable closed data source that would be like a differentiator for building a model and or building like an application layer or whatever. And so obviously Twitter is one, which is closed to just Grok. Reddit would be one, so someone could buy Reddit. But Friedberg was like, the one by far that's the most valuable is YouTube. And he did the back of the napkin math and he was basically like, all of these models were trained on, I think he said 10 petabytes of data. So like, GPT-3 or GPT-3.5 were trained on, uh, there's a word for it, he said like common common crawl or something. I don't know what that is, but he's like common crawl, which is, let's just say it's the set of data on the internet that you could crawl is like 10 petabytes of data, which is big. And he was saying, if you do the math, YouTube alone has like a th thousands of petabytes of data and is adding one to two petabytes of data every single day in terms of like the amount of people that are uploading content. And, and so what he said is, He's like, if you really extrapolate that out, there is no better moat than YouTube. YouTube has video, text, image, audio. It has everything. It's growing faster than everything else. It's richer than everything else. And so he's like, if Google doesn't fumble, YouTube will be the biggest private differentiated data source, which then would, would lead you to believe that Google's AI would be like richer and better than the others over time is what he's saying. And I actually agree. And so my prediction is that once Google realizes this, or like, I'm sure I'm, like it would be arrogant to assume they haven't realized this. I'm sure they have, but I don't think they've figured out the AI play yet. I think we can, it's fair to say like Google's AI is not the best, but once they figure that out, the goal then will be how do we get more content uploaded to YouTube faster to increase the size of that moat? And so what I think is like, if that's all true and that all checks out, YouTube's just gonna start paying creators more to spend more of their mind share making content for YouTube than everywhere else. So like the CPMs will go up, that moat will increase. And then my guess is that being a big creator on YouTube will actually be the best possible thing you could do as a creator because eventually YouTube will have to pay some license back to the creators to access the data for their new shit. So like, Today, MKBHD just uploads videos to YouTube and he does that because they, YouTube pays him a lot and it's the best way for him to reach the most people. But in the future, once MKBHD realizes that every video he puts on is actually enriching the YouTube data set, which is increasing Google's moat, which is the best AI product in the world, MKBHD and all of the big creators will demand that YouTube pay them uh, a licensing fee for access, right? So, some sort of like increased compensation beyond the CPMs for access to that training data. We're not there yet in the world where creators realize that like their content is actually the most valuable differentiated data source for these AI models, but I think we're going to get there. 
And so my prediction is that, and this is like a wild, I'm, I'm on a, I'm on a goose chase right now. So I appreciate you hanging. But my, my prediction is that it'll be, if you, if you're good at YouTube, have a growing YouTube audience or have an existing YouTube audience that is underpriced today for this AI angle. It also might be underpriced for everything we've already talked about, which is like people spend more time on YouTube. YouTube is a new TV, like all those other tailwinds. But this is like an interesting angle that I hadn't thought of where if true, holy shit, like that's really valuable to be a YouTube creator. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the technology is all going to kind of come to this point where um, like right, right now it has been on this incredibly exponential curve. Right. But eventually it will sort of like stabilize and plateau. And really like the gold is in the proprietary data. And this is exactly why. Facebook or Meta uh, release threads, 100%, no doubt in my mind, because they realize this, they want to win in AI, they want to be a major player competitor, they want to be at the top of the game. And, um, and so they needed that, you know, they have like an, an incredible, I don't know how many petabytes, but I'm, I'm sure it's just like mind numbingly large of a number, but they don't have the real time data. And Twitter, like Grok, the reason why I think that's going to be a major competitor is because Twitter, I think, is still like where the news breaks around the world. So if you want to ask a search engine, like even Google, once it hits Google, once the robot starts crawling and it hits like the Google search engine, it might be like, even if it's 10 minutes later, that's still like, that's a lifetime in terms of like how fast news travels nowadays. And so like Grok, if you want to search up and ask questions and figure out what's going on real time, like Grok is probably going to be your best bet. But you're right about YouTube, man, because of all the news creators like YouTube almost breaks like Twitter just because it's text. It's it's the fastest. But like, dude, I see some of these guys like news breaks on Twitter and like eight minutes later, they have a video uploaded on YouTube and it's like pretty comprehensive. I'm like, how do they do that in eight minutes? You know, um, but yeah, man, you're right. Proprietary data is key, I guess, is what I'm, I'm trying to say. I think that that is king. I think Meta is going to be a big player here. YouTube as well. And and to your point, I do wonder like, is this already baked into the TOS? You know, like Meta is already going to be crawling our images. Uh, as, as long as you're a public account, they're already going to be using our images for, for their existing uh, text to, to photo AI. And it's like, we've already agreed to it by using the platform. I think it's probably going to be the same with YouTube, um, but I'd have to look at I think it's built, in, it's built in has, from here back. But at some point, I think the creators will not unionized, but I think the create once the, once the understanding from the creators catches up where they're like, Oh shit, we're just giving them all this training data for free, which is extremely valuable. The creators will demand compensation in some way, or they will take their ball and play elsewhere. YouTube, it's tough because YouTube, there might not be somewhere else to play, but like if you're comparing threads versus Twitter or you're comparing, if, if, if threads was paying you 20 bucks a month or a hundred bucks a month for if you post it at least a hundred times of quality, I guarantee a lot of people would jump from Twitter to threads, right? If the incentive was better aligned right now, the incentive is not that aligned. Like you make almost nothing on, on Twitter. You make nothing on threads, you make nothing anywhere. But I think there will come a time where creators realize that the new fresh data is from the stuff they're creating. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I could be over overstepping the leverage that the creators have relative to the platform, but I just think like, like news is one use case, but for example, on YouTube, let's, let's say for example, I mean, video content is the best way to sell products. And so if the best, most cinematic, most compelling storytelling and filmmaking is happening on YouTube, 
then taking all of that input data, training the, you're gonna be able to train the best model to create new videos, which then brands could run as ads. So like, it's not just about the news, the pulse, which I think Twitter is gonna be the best for. TikTok also with TikTok search is gonna be good for. Reddit's kind of good for. YouTube may be good for it, but I think it's everything else with YouTube in terms of like, learning any skill, all of that content's on YouTube, learning how to like make video. So I just think that, the, yeah, the proprietary data, like you said, is the most important thing. The platforms that have access to the proprietary data at scale are Google with YouTube, Meta with Instagram, Facebook, Threads, Twitter with, with Twitter, and TikTok with TikTok, or ByteDance with TikTok, and maybe Reddit. Those are like the best, most proprietary data platforms where the amount of new content, fresh content, because the, the way I think of it is like, yes, historically, everyone could train on the same data set. And that's what Friedberg was saying is like, all of the models today are starting to converge on the same ability where like <clears throat> GPT-4 is not that much better than Mistral, which is not that much better than Llama, which is not that. And he's like, in six to nine months, they'll all be the same. Why will they all be the same? Because, <clears throat> getting too worked up. Why would they all be the same? Because they're all training on the same base data. There's no differentiated data underneath, but differentiated data comes from new content being created and the most, or it comes from new data being created and the, the fastest, biggest new data is in content, which is why YouTube will have an edge. And so I think just, yeah, I mean, I, for that reason, among millions of others, being big on YouTube and having leverage on YouTube will be worth it in, in a weird way. And I'll, I'll pause after this in a weird way. It, it's funny. Cause like the trend of being a creator in the short term feels dangerous where it's like, yo, there's going to be a thousand AI creators for every one of me and my stuff's going to get diluted out. So therefore no value will come my way. That's like the preliminary way of thinking in the short term. But actually if a thousand AI creators come out and all of them are trained on the same base data and all of them converge to the same point, the only differentiated data, which is what's valuable, will be a unique human creator. So like on the long term, you'll get paid for that. So I think people are going to get paid like a monthly fee or like a salary from these platforms to basically say, hey, we want your unique content that isn't AI generated, that has differentiation, create on our platform and like we'll pay you for it. Yeah, I mean, two things come to mind. One, one is like there's there's a lot of landmark cases out there right now. I think OpenAI New York Times is going to be a huge one. Um, Stable Diffusion, there's a couple, I think. I don't know if they settled. There was one with the Getty Images. I'm not sure I haven't tracked it, but there are landmark cases out there. And like all of these chips will fall over the next year or two. And that's going to be huge, man. Like if New York Times is able to win against OpenAI, that's going to open up the floodgates. And all of these lawyers are going to, you know, class action lawsuits on on behalf of creators and like th this is all going to play out over the over the next five years um but beyond that i'm not like i don't i don't want to like give credit to creators or individuals but it's very hard to kind of like organize this because i mean this has been playing out over the last 10 years these platforms are unbelievably lucrative and just like you know cash flow machines even reddit i think it's i don't know the valuation but in the several billions maybe even in the tens of billions and People know this. Like, I've always seen this chatter on the internet. It's like, yo, we're building up these sites for imaginary internet points for karma on Reddit or whatever it is. These guys are making billions of dollars on our work. Shouldn't we get something? And so I've, I've seen this sort of already play out over the last decade. I just organizing like a creator group or a creator base. Yeah, it would be I think tough. these platforms could just say, hey, no problem. If you don't like our terms of service, you can go create elsewhere, but there's nowhere else to create. I think we saw this. This is why 
you know, the advent of these alternative platforms like Rumble and True Social, et cetera. They didn't like how these private companies were organizing things. Maybe they didn't like the TOS or the leadership, whatever it was. And so they jumped shit. But like, I, I just, you know, I don't, I don't see anybody supplanting or competing against YouTube that has paid out $70 billion to creators over the last three years. I don't know if you saw that stat, like incredible. So yeah, I'd, I'd wonder, man, I don't know if the, the creator as a, as a body, as an organization, as a group, has any leverage here but again fascinating to see how it's going to play out and like we can definitely make a lot of content covering it and talking about it because I, I i do find it really interesting yeah all right we'll put it we'll put a pin in that one for now i i'm fascinated by that as well um all right so we've got i'm looking at the list we can go okay i'll give you i'll give you three different options and you you pick we could talk about the the sets props uniforms and characters kind of world building thing we could talk about Hormozy with school and like what he's doing with school and why that's interesting. And, or we could talk about the Sam Altman billion dollar, com- one person billion dollar company thing. Let's, I mean, let's, let's go to the Hormozy school because I do have like two thoughts here. Um, All right. I don't know if should we like frame it or do I, I think most yeah. people would probably. I can frame it quickly. Okay. Basically, Hormo- if you don't know Hormozy, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. You definitely, if you listen to this podcast, you definitely know Hormozy. Um, he, he's basically pumping a ton of free content to then buy majority stakes in companies, which he then grows with his content machine. Brilliant model. We talked about him before. He just made the biggest investment he's made so far in this platform called School, S-K-O-O-L.com. School is more or less a community platform where you can basically create a free or paid community and you can post lessons, you can host courses there. It's like forum based. So it's not fast communication the way like Slack or Discord is. It's more like slow for old school forum based where you have like channels and people can kind of like a message board. And school has been designed from the ground up specifically to help people build these like paid community products. So there's a lot there too, but I want to hear your thoughts and then I can kind of like share mine as well. Uh, I mean, I'm going to go two places here. One is how brilliant Hormozy is and how much this is going to pan. I mean, this is going to be a, probably a 10 X hundred X who knows, but this is going to be a major return on investment for him. And the model that he's put out there is absolutely brilliant. I'm going to go another way quickly and where I also just think this is the new wave in 24. So I think this is the new NFTs, SMMA, drop shipping, Amazon FBA. Like this is the new iteration of that where everybody's going to rush to uh, create a paid community to take advantage of the arbitrage opportunity. But then eventually there's going to be probably more supply than there is demand. And just like drop shipping, like drop shipping is not dead today. You can still make millions and tens of millions of dollars today, but it's like only the top 1% are going to kind of like break through. And like 99% of these communities are eventually going to fizzle out because it is very, it's, it's hard enough managing and keeping retention for a free community, like paid communities, a whole, a whole nother animal. Um, and so I do think it's like the new trend that'll fizzle out, but there's definitely an arbitrage opportunity. And we're going to see this like 2024 is like the year of school and paid communities for sure. Um, but like, yeah, Hormozy, this was perfect, man. Like this was perfect for his brand. Like it's, it's a three-step process that he talks about. And it's so simple, generate attention through content, funnel it to a paid community, and that'll do all the work. That'll make you all the money. Um, so it's a perfect bottom, bottom of the funnel piece. And perfect for his brand. Um, I mean, like, it was just everything that he's done has been so brilliantly executed. I just have no choice but to, like, admire what he's doing. 
This is going to make him a billionaire, I think. I think school is going to be the one that put, I don't even know how much he's worth. It doesn't even matter if he's, if he becomes a billionaire on this, but I agree. It's going to be, a, it's going to be a 10 to hundred Xer for sure, because the model's brilliant. Anyone who has a community is paying him monthly. He doesn't care how the communities do. And his only goal is to get more people to make communities. And then if you pay 99 bucks a month, that's 1200 bucks a year. So all you need to do is have a community that generates more than 1200 bucks a year and you're breaking even as the community member. So it's just, I mean, it's just wins all the way down for Hormozzi. Yeah. And the incentive structure is brilliant. So I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Maybe you can add some more color to this, but it's, it's like, if you, if you get somebody to sign up to school, you get, you then get like 40% of their, I, I don't want, I don't want to butcher this, but there is like a brilliant incentive model that's powering this whole thing. Um, and then he has the school games. So there's like some a competition, like whoever has, I think it's top 10 or maybe top, top 20, whoever has, whoever's in that top 10 of most MRR, like whose communities are doing the most monthly recurring revenue, get to fly out to Vegas and like hang out with Hormozy. Um, which again, like stat, bro, status is crazy. Like people don't realize when you're making content, it's like, well, Hormozy's not selling anything to his audience. Like, no, 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 no. But what he's building is status. And like, that is so valuable. Um, and so that opportunity to go meet Vegas, uh, Hormozy in Vegas, again, the diehard fans, it's like, it's, uh, yeah, man, the, the whole, the whole thing was just organized and orchestrated brilliantly. He as soon as the announcement came out, he was like in a school uniform, like <laughs> the dude is just, <laughs> he's hat. a savant, man. He's, he's like, he's, I think he's the best right now in the game. So he's amazing. I'm going to, so I'm going to make a, I'm going to make the weekends community on school. It's going to be free because I want to learn how school works and I want to see, that. I think having people at the bottom of the funnel who are like right now, if we have diehard fans, we have nowhere to put them. Like we have nowhere to, nowhere to give them more. Right. So like they're watching the podcast. We don't know who they are. Podcast is terrible for analytics. We can't even associate someone's name to a fan on the podcast unless they comment on YouTube. So it's really like, it's tough. It's tough to engage with your biggest fans. So I'm going to, I'm going to make a free community on school. What I'm thinking for the perks or like whatever the, the value is going to be, I mean, it's free, but I think the value is going to be I'm going to do some kind of AMA. I'm going to do some kind of async AMA. I don't want to commit to weekly, but maybe bi-weekly where anybody can ask questions and I'll respond to them. I'm going to do one live AMA a month. So like I'm going to live brainstorm, bring somebody up on stage, be like, yo, what you, what's your project? What's your brand? Are you a creator? Whatever. Like, let's talk through what your content strategy should be. What's whatever. Basically like this. And it, like, if you want to do them with me, hell yeah. If not, we'll just like do a few and see how they go. But like, very, very, very uh, non-committal to like certain schedules or whatever. I just think there's a lot of value in like if 20 people are watching us and one person brainstorm live and us just giving the sauce to that person, that's really valuable for all people. So I would say some of those. And besides that, it's just you're going to benefit, the people will benefit from having each other in the community. But I'm not going to commit to any like I have to message a certain amount of time or like I'm going to have to be in there every single day or like I'm going to be driving the conversation forward. I'm not going to commit to any of that. And so that way it's high value for the people that join, but it's free and, you know, we'll, we'll try it that way. So that's what I'm thinking right now for what makes the most sense that would excite me to do it, but also give value to people. And I just want to learn how school works and like how people are doing this at some point, maybe there's a paid component. Maybe we create like an invite only exclusive tier that's paid. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to like commit too much to that, but, um, but yeah, that's what I'm thinking now. But I agree that I think Hormozy is going to make school the new, uh, yeah, the new NFT, like, like whatever, whatever, yeah, the, I mean, whatever the, the trend the, is. 
there was so many platforms already out there. There's Kajabi, there's Circle, there's even like, you know, uh, people using Slack, Telegram, WhatsApp. There's like a million of these, right? So they're not yeah. reinventing the wheel. And I actually think like when compared to Circle, Kajabi, it's like the least customizable. It, it does still like, not to shit in the product because it's amazing, but it does still remind me of like an early 2000s, like internet experience. Um, it's like forum based, all that. I think it's a great idea. I just think there needs to be like a monetization angle. Otherwise it's, it's $1,200 a year and a lot of time. And it's, it's, it's I, I ran a, a free community before for metaverse, but obviously there was like a paid angle. Like we were eventually going to drop a project. And all, so it, it wasn't like necessarily free or it wasn't, it wasn't a nonprofit, let's call it. And dude, the amount of work, I was 10 hours a day, every day, seven days a week. Like that's not even an exaggeration. You could still join that uh, Discord and search up my name. You're probably like 100,000 plus message. I don't, I don't know, like an insane, insane, insane volume. Um, so I'd be, that would be my only thing. It, it's, it's best to like under promise, I think, because the, the, it is a lot of time. It's a lot, a lot yeah. of time. And that's the one thing I'd, I, I don't want to become a community manager and I'm not going to commit to that at all. I think we, we had a discord community too, not even close to the scale that you guys had, but it was so much time. It was like eight to 10 hours. Like, as, like you said, and I think the, the biggest problem with that is discord and Slack are designed for real-time communication so that the expectation from members is that you hit them back quickly. Like literally the way the feeds are designed, if you don't respond to someone in the next five messages, their thing gets pushed away and it looks like you don't care. And so like, I don't know if, if that's what you felt, but on discord, it's like baked into the, into the attention loop that like the communication is going to be fast and crazy. And like the expectation is that you respond, especially when you sell, I don't, I don't know how, I guess yours was free. Ours, like in order to get in, you had to buy an NFT. So I kind of felt like obligated to respond to everyone all the time. So that's why I want to start with this free where it's like, I don't have any obligation to respond. To be honest, my time is worth more than zero. So like if I respond at all, it should be a positive value for someone who's signing up for free. And I'm going to do my best to make it like amazing, but I can't commit to a certain amount of time per day. Yeah, because definitely that's one of the things about community. You want to build community. It's it's blood, sweat, and tears. It's sweat equity. There's no real way to do it. You can't outsource that, honest, honestly. Like, you can't, right? Um, and so, but you make a good point, too, that it is better than Discord in that it's like the conversations are organized and they're topical, whereas Discord, it's like, I mean, you could have, like, different channels on the left or, like, different topics, but it's still, like, things get buried very, very quickly. And, like, if you miss out on a live conversation, it's hard to go back and try to like piece together what everybody's saying, like how the conversation flowed. So I do love how, and, and by the way, this is why like Reddit is one of my favorites because there's a conversation and there's the conversation below is upvoted based on quality. Um, although marketers have definitely gained that. This, this, by the way, we should have that conversation later. I want to like, most of Reddit is gamed. Anyways, that's a different conversation for later. Um, but I do love how school has the conversations topically categorized and organized, and then it's just easier to follow along. So a lot, yeah. of, a lot of, a lot of upside to it as well. Because the the thing I'm thinking of is like, when we make a video, there is no connection between us and the and the watcher. Like we can try to make it like we're talking to them through the camera, but there's no connection. Versus when I ran that many chat thing, even though it wasn't me DMing them, but the fact that there was a DM coming from me, it felt more like a connection. And so I'm, I'm just thinking like in a community where 
I'm not going to respond to every message all the time, but if I'm responding to someone one-on-one and I take five minutes and like really put a thoughtful response, that connection, wh- what do you put that, wh- what kind of value do you put on that connection? That's so strong. And like, that's why Gary V is such a goat because he's the one who is responding to people. He's responded to hundreds of thousands of DMs in over 10 years. That's a lot of one-on-one connection that he's built. He might not remember a random person from eight years ago, but they for sure remember him and they're going to buy his book and buy his course. So I, I want to force more I want to find better ways to force more one-on-one connection from me. And right now, the only way I can think to do that would be responding to someone's email one-on-one, DMing them one-on-one, or messaging them with a, in a community one-on-one. Everything else is more like me trying to broadcast for scale, which is like helpful for breadth, but you you have no depth. Yeah, no, I've been, I mean, uh, yeah, exactly my thoughts. Like I've been, I've been searching for ways. To, I've been wanting to do a community again for a long, long time. There's like 11,000 people on my broadcast channel. And like, I want to be able to get to know people on a more one-on-one basis, but I've just been so hesitant because still a little burnt out from the discord days where I was like, holy shit. Like if I want to do this right uh, and I want it to like flourish and I, and I want it active, it's like, it's, it's an absurd amount of work. That's, that's the only thing. Now, if it's like, just like a community for, Cause that's the thing, man. Communities can die and just become inactive so, so fast. Like if there's no, like if every time you log on, there's no real conversation, the person that you join for is never really in there. There's, it's not going to, it's not going to go anywhere. So it's like, that's been my only uh, hesitation, but I, I mean, yeah, community is so powerful, man. And I, and I love to like, especially in this game, creator land, where it just, it kind of feels very lonely. And like, you have like all these problems and frustrations that you feel are, are unique and isolated to you. But in reality, everybody else is going, uh, going through them. And it's so much more impactful to like navigate these waters with teammates, with other like-minded individuals. So power of community is, cannot be understated, but, um, but yeah, it's a full-time job on top of a full-time job on top of a full-time job. It's like, it's pretty, it can be pretty nuts. But if you think about, and this is the last thing I'll say we can move on, is when you post a video, what really happens? What happens is your super fans see it right away. Either they have post notifications on or like they're, they, you're the first story that they see because they always watch your stuff. So they watch it right away. But then there's, they might have thoughts on it or like feedback. They have nowhere to put that. So like mm-hmm. if all the school was, was like, I post a YouTube video I go into school, which now I can email everyone through school to tell them it's out, which is like a huge plus. I say, hey, I just posted this video on like 10 tips for improving your lighting setup or whatever. And those super fans want to go watch it in the first hour. And then we have like a little small discussion with those hundred people in this school platform about like if they have questions or like, what did I not clarify? Like there's a really good value there that you don't get if you don't have that back end communication source where like all that energy and passion from the super fans gets lost. Like all they can do is comment, which you, you know, we almost never see cause it gets buried. So that's another thing where there's all these little things that you can build depth with super fans through some, it doesn't have to be a paid community, but like some sort of communication mechanism that I don't have at all right now. It's, I feel very alone and I can't get any feedback unless someone takes the time to like send me an email or DM. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. Which is rare too, because it's like another idea that I've been thinking about. Sometimes as a creator, you don't realize the 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 amount of people you've impacted because, again, reverse engineer everything. How like how often do I take time out of my day to like message a creator? Yo, man, I just want to let you know that the last video was dope. I like this about it. The sound sound design choice you made. Sure. Okay, cool. Like peace, man. Like I never I never really do that. I just double tap and I'm out for the most part. Sometimes I leave a comment like love this, like very just surface level. 
Um, and so you're right, man. And so, hey, another reason, I think a lot of creators are feeling this way. So another reason that this was perfect timing for school and Hermosi to come in and just feast. Um, and I'm sure some of these other platforms like like Circle and they're, they're probably like, shit, we need to find our own yeah. Hormozy. Because that's the thing. What's the difference between this and all of those platforms with the better product? They don't have Hormozy. That's the difference. Exactly. They, they got exactly. no juice. And it does. Honestly, it feels like if you're going to go sign up for Circle and it's like, ah, but school is the way right now. It's like, dude, that stamp of approval was massive, massive. Yeah. One last thing on this question for you is, and I'm not, we're not, I'm not going to do this right now, but just like for, for banter, if, if you were to launch like a free community, but then you'd have like a paid faction or like some paid elevated paid part, what do you think is the most valuable thing you can offer in the paid part to obviously compel people to pay, but like to make it seem like they're getting the most value, like to give them the most value possible. Like what, what perk do you access, think is man, the best? Like those calls time, like, you know, if I, if I were to, um, I've actually done this. I had like one time I put out like one-on-one -on -one consulting and then like to my surprise, it was like actually bo uh, booked. It was like 45 minutes and I priced it at 500 bucks. So it's like, I don't, so that was another thing with free community. It's like, if I'm going to be in there, um, it's opportunity costs, right? So like you could, if you're going to go in there and, and, and chat with your community for, for five hours, like you probably could have made a video in that time or, or something else or worked on a product, whatever it might be. Um, so I think it's, I think it's access. Like, access to um, us. Yeah. Yeah. One-on-one -on -one chats, intimate private group chats, like coaching, that kind of thing. Um, you know, if somebody were like, Hey, I'm making a video or I want to build a brand around this, or I want to make content around this. Can you just like, you know, can I, can I shadow you? Can I watch, or can I ask you questions or can you give me feedback? Like that kind of stuff, um, where it may take like an hour to sit down with somebody and like really analyze that would be like probably gated behind a paid community. That that's the only thing I can really like think about right now. Yeah. I was thinking about that too. The problem with doing that in my mind is as soon as you have people paying, let's say you have like 5,000 people that don't pay and then like a hundred that do. Once the, once those hundred are paying, you like have to respond timely and you like, it, it becomes an obligation where it's like, all right, I took money. So like I now have to get on the calls or I have to respond to your messages. And if I don't, I feel bad for not doing it versus when it's free, you don't feel bad at all. And so that's, yeah, that's the thing I'm, yeah. I've always grappled with. I think this will all play with. out. And this is why I think it's going to be like a super trend. Like 1% of communities will prevail. Most will fizzle out. But the other, the other indicator that I have, you probably have it as well, in my DMs, literally 10 a day, uh, growth operators, that's what they call themselves. And I realize where they come from because like <laughs> Hermosi makes a video on school and he's teaching people. This is what you need to do. Identify creators with more than 10,000 followers, hit them up in their DMs. And so I watched this Hermosi video on school where he's given like the playbook I just on how to make a hundred thousand dollars a month being a growth operator on behalf of creators. And like, it's always the same messages that I get. And I know what's coming next as a sales pitch. Sometimes I like interact just to study like how they're going about it. It's usually all just copy and paste from whatever Hermosi video or, or, or wherever they, they got the idea from, but there's so many paid community growth operators out there right now, hitting up, probably spamming every creator with more than like 10,000 followers. Um, and it just indicative to me of like another reason this is going to be such a, a huge wave, but I just think the the staying power for the vast majority of communities is is not quite there. It is is very hard to warrant a paid membership. It's fascinating. Um, all right, we probably got enough time for one more topic if you want. Yep. Um, we could either do the let's save the world building stuff for next time so we can do yeah, a bigger yeah, section like on it. 
Um, we could do the Sam Altman billion dollar companies thing. We could do the Riley Brown future of content. I think he's doing something kind of interesting. I don't know a ton about it, but I, I have some thoughts and then, or we could do the newsletter growth. Let's actually, let's end it with the uh, billion dollar companies idea. Um, I'll, I'll frame it. This is kind of interesting to me, maybe a little bit hyperbole in the next, you know, five years, but maybe in the future, this could come to life. But Sam Altman believes that um, there will be one person billion dollar companies because of AI and AI agents. And I had a thought yesterday. I was, I was on a call with my buddy, Felix uh, Hartman. He owns uh, Hartman Capital. They're raising another fund right now. And um, he, he was, like, we were talking about like what mixed reality apps we would build. And like the one that I, my favorite mixed reality app, it's actually on the MetaQuest, not on the Vision Pro. Um, it's called Thrill of the Fight and it's a boxing game and it's super, super dope. And we came out with an idea. I, I kind of came up with this idea and like, feel free to bite it or steal it because more than likely I won't build it, but like a, a gladiator game for the Vision Pro or whatever, where you start small and you're like fighting kids on the street, whatever. And like you're working your way up. Maybe you, maybe it follows a story of, of Gladiator where you're like a slave. And like you have to fight your way to freedom. And like you work your way up until you're in the gladiatorial games. And now you have lines and shit. And it becomes like almost like an Elden Ring or, or this style game. Where you become like the King Gladiator. And it's crazy like fitness, all this stuff incorporated. And I'm like, damn, I wouldn't know where to build that. And then I thought, wait a second. In two or three years, I'll be able to generate all the environments. I'll be able to generate all the assets. And I say two or three years, it's, it's possible now, but the, the fidelity and the quality, I don't think it's quite there. But say two or three years, I'll be able to generate all the assets in mid-journey. And like, I could become, I could like build this on my own. I don't think that's a billion dollar play. I think that's more of like a, maybe a $10 million product or whatever it might be. But like somebody out there will build a billion dollar SaaS all by themselves or a billion dollar game or whatever it might be. Because now with AI, not only can they generate all the components, all the code, all the, all the design, all the UI work, whatever it might be, they can also set up agents to handle customer service, uh, in, like whatever, whatever it might be. Right. And so like, I actually, I kind of agree with his prediction in a way. Um, and, and that's incredible, man. That's fascinating. Like the new wave, some gen alpha kid is going to be in his basement building a billion dollar business, just hacking away on AI agents. So, so what are your thoughts here? So I, I agree that it's going to happen. I think more realistic is like three or four person billion dollar companies where you, because there's a couple of like domains, but basically what it comes down to, I was writing about this is the hu the job of the human will just be to train the agents all day. And yeah. you need enough domain knowledge from the human to be able to know what to customize the agent to do. So like if you're selling B2B SaaS, you're going to need somebody who actually understands product to, to train the coding agents to actually build the right product. Or you're going to need someone who actually understands sales to train the sales agents of what to say. It would be amazing, like a Swiss Army knife single person that could train all of the domains themselves. That'd be crazy. I think it's or, very, or very- Or they could just license or use open source somebody else. Yeah, true, true. It, right? Because I, I was thinking of the same scenario where it's like, okay, if I'm going to, if you build a company and it's all of a sudden valued, valued at a billion dollars, okay, you got to make sure you are set legally. You got to make sure you, you know your way around GDPR, if you're going to be launching in Europe, whatever it might be. But like there will be an AI agent that knows the legalities inside and out, and like all that documentation, like that agent will take care of everything for you. And I find that- It's agents all I'm the like, way down. That is crazy. That's fascinating. Exactly. So yeah. it's like, instead of humans, instead of, you know, like a regular product team would be like, okay, you have your designers, you have your PM, you have your engineers, you have your data scientists, you have like, there will be agents that replace uh, every single person on that roster, so to speak. That is insane, man. And like- So crazy. Yeah. Dude, I, how I, wild I can't would it be like to just wake up? 
you just wake up, you go to your, I don't even know if it'll be a computer at that time. Maybe it'll be fucking VR contacts. I don't know. But like what you wake up and you tap in and it's just like, you just like see this like visual and it's just like a world map with like all the places that are buying. It's like that Shopify purchase map, but it's visual. It's all the people that are buying and like all the agents that are helping them. And you're just sitting there with your arms crossed and the money's just, your account's just going up. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's a wild thing to think about, but like, we're not that far off. Like, the, the first iPhone came out in 2008. That was 16 years ago. I guarantee 16 years from now, we've got this type of thing. Maybe a billion dollars is not the order of magnitude. Maybe it's 10 million or a hundred, whatever, but it's going to exist where like, I really, yeah, I didn't even think about the point you said, which is like everything that you would need human expertise for, a human will have built an agent specialized for that and would just be selling those agents for thousand bucks a month. And you just like, it, it'll be like switches. You just plug in the legal agent. Oh, I need a supply chain guy for China. Boom, plug that in. Like you just, so really all the human is doing is like directing traffic and coming up with the initial idea. You're, more the, or less. you're, the, uh, you're the maestro. You're the, the what's called the conductor of the yeah, orchestra. The conductor. Like you're just, yeah, I mean, like, like let's simulate it. Say you wanted to build, I don't know, what's a billion dollar, like a, a Salesforce, a Salesforce for creators, let's say, right? Like a SaaS CRM for creators. Okay, I'm going to have AI do the UI for me. Okay. So I got the UI generated. Okay. Now I'm going to have AI write the code to actually integrate this. Blah, blah, blah. Now I'm going to have, um, AI create the content. Okay. My top funnel content, I'm going to go crazy on TikTok and on Instagram and YouTube. Okay. I'm going to have like right now, like it doesn't really exist kind of shitty, like the, the sites that do exist around this, but eventually it's going to get really good where it's like, you can deploy a thousand clips every day, plug in your product. And then, I mean, like the, the whole thing, like, like you said, from top down and you're like this maestro just directing these, these agents and these GPTs, uh, to do what yeah. they need to do like that. You and then like agents. you have an agent trained on customer service sales. Exactly, bro. It's, it's, yeah. it's wild to but, think but, about, man. But really. here's the, here, here's the wild point, right? So you're like, okay, I can, I can use AI agents to build the customer CRM, the whole stack. But like, why would any company need to buy your CRM? They'll just have an agent be the CRM. Like, like they won't need, right. like, it's like, it's like all the software that could be built won't need to be bought because other people can custom build their own one of one with agents. So it's like, what, what even, what even would be bought? I think what would be bought is the agents, right? That to your point, it's like the, maybe the only thing that exists in terms of like the biggest businesses that are built are not software. It's just custom agents that are trained on proprietary data sets. And if you, like the legal agent guy, that's a hundred million dollar business because every company that wants to have the legal agent uses that one. And maybe, maybe that's because yeah, like what, like I'm trying to think of simple softwares like Figma that I pay 50 bucks a month for, but at 20 bucks a month, I don't need Figma. I have an agent that can just design anything I want that I just tell it what to design and it does it, or it's smart enough to know what it needs and design. I don't need to pay Figma. So even if Figma was built by one person, why am I paying for Figma? I have a design agent. So maybe Figma selling the design agent, you know? Yeah, dude. Yeah. Cra crazy to think about, man. And again, like something, uh, something to keep our eye on. Cause this is going to progress really quickly. I've heard rumors six to eight months, we're going to get GPT five. Um, oh it, it's hard, it's hard to predict. It's hard to predict. Cause also it's like, um, you know, generally it's, if you have the best talent and you're going to win, but, but if everybody has access to the same sort of like source code, I don't, you know what I mean? Like if, if, if your, if your talent is replaced by a GPT or a piece of code or an AI, like it's, uh, 
yeah, what's what's the differentiator? What's the moat? What's the I, I don't know, man. I, it, it's hard to predict where all this is going to go, but the world is going to change very, very fast in the next decade. Very fast. That's why they're all saying universal basic income, because if you play it out, it's like, OK, every worker gets replaced by AI. Every AI worker in that domain is trained on the same source code. So they're all equivalent every like you live in a world of abundance where like every tool every product is just made by ai so it's like what do the humans do it's like well they either do art or they're just paid by the government to like exist i don't know that's that's a tough world i kind of like where we're at now which is the people who come up with unique ideas and have the willpower to make them are the ones that are rewarded people who don't aren't i love that system i would hate for it to yeah, I, don't, I mean, in another splinter of the simulation, that isn't how the world works. But this world, I actually enjoy. So it'll be, it'll well, be interesting. I mean, that's to see. just going to become more valuable, man. Like actually, unique ideas. Um, I was talking with um, Brett. Brett Foley. Sorry, sorry, Brett. Your name escaped me for a second. But I was talking with Brett, and like we we were thinking the same thing. Where it's like, it, especially now in content and like content land, it's like the unique idea is everything. And I want to kind of like end it here. I don't know how you feel. Maybe I'm just becoming jaded, but I like, dude, have, there's like a viral uh, song where it's like, nothing's new, nothing's new, nothing's new. I don't know if you've seen that like viral song. That, <laughs> no, that's no. Like an opa. But like everything is this feels the same, bro. Like I'll go on Twitter. How I made $45,000 make a month. on How I did $100,000 using SMMA with this new strategy. Why this and that? Like every piece of content feels the same, bro. There is like, there is almost no originality out there. That's how I feel when I go on Twitter or YouTube or threads or the gram. It's like, I just feel like everything's a rehash of everything else. Um, and like the, the original ideas, whenever I come across one, it's like, it feels so good. Like goes directly to my soul. I was like, mm, that's a good thought. That's a great way to articulate that. Nikita beer had a tweet today. Uh, I, c- I could pull it up if needed, but it was like, it was, it was so well stated and something that I've like believed in so heavily, but had trouble articulating when I found that piece of content it was like this original idea. And I'm like, I love that. Like, damn, that was a breath of fresh air. Cause it, it just does feel like shit. Even a lot of the content I make feels very like a rehash. And I just, I feel very jaded right now. I'm on the internet and I'm just like, everyone feels like an NPC to me. <laughs> Everything just feels the I same. Feel there's like no originality. It's it's a it's a very stale time. Lately, I haven't really even liked consuming. Like I don't I don't like opening the shit and scrolling. Usually, I would do that to try to get ideas. But then I was like, why am I getting ideas from remixes on remixes? Like the best the best things I've ever made have just come from me walking around, coming up with a novel idea, and like executing against it. So that's that's why like when I when I have a real banger video that's like a un, like the luxury gas stations shit. I just like came up with that one day. I was like. Even if that didn't do well, like I feel good about putting that unique. new idea. Exactly. exactly. I feel good right. about putting that into the world. So yeah, maybe we end it there. Unique ideas. Love it, man. All right. Hell yeah. I got, I'm excited for episode 15. We got a lot of shit to talk about and a lot of good stuff to talk about and have good numbers for 15. 14 was a, a weird one, man. I wonder why. 14 tough numbers. Ernie yeah, Banks, man. I think I saw. Ernie, Ernie Banks. Banks is there as well. More, uh, I'm, I'm so big into basketball, so that's why I couldn't think like, yeah, for some reason, there's not a lot of, like, star basketball players that wear 14. Interesting. Yeah. All right, if you've been listening this far, thank you so much. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to share the episode. Whatever whatever you need to do. We don't need to tell you again and again. You know what to do. But appreciate you guys supporting, and we'll see you on the next one. See y'all then.